listening to Mountain Meister. It's the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm your host, Ben Shank. Today's guest is Dan Richards, the CEO of Global Rescue. Global Rescue provides travel and health risk management services ranging from specialty care to evacuation. We have the ability to get to you regardless of wherever it is that you happen to be and to be able to extract you um, and get you to safety. And if it's a medical problem that you're experiencing, to a clinic or a hospital. On today's show, we'll talk about Global Rescue's business model, how the service impacts people's decision-making on the mountain, and whether Dan has ever had to use the services from his own company. I'm Ben Shank. You're listening to Mountain Meister. If you are in need of some outdoor gear and you want to support a great cause, listen up. We have partnered with mountaingear.com to bring you a healthy discount on their website, all sorts of brands and products there. Go check it out. Some of the proceeds are going to Big City Mountaineers. And as you may know, I'm climbing the Grand Teton this summer to help raise money for Big City Mountaineers. There are tons of Mountain Meister listeners joining me, all raising thousands of dollars each. If you want to do your part to contribute and obviously get some gear for yourself, this is the opportunity. Here are the details. 20% off at their site, mountaingear.com. You use the code 20BCM5 at checkout. 20% off anything you want. The offer is only good from June 6th through June 9th. The link and information is also on our Facebook page. So you can just click the link or use 20BCM5 at checkout. Thank you for your support. Now let's go to my conversation with Dan Richards. We'll, we'll get started. Uh, guest today, okay. Dan Richards, uh, founder and CEO of Global Rescue, uh, a service that is used or ideally never used by a lot of the guests that we feature on this show. Global Rescue provides travel and health risk management services ranging from specialty care all the way to evacuation if need be. Dan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. So emotionally, I'm wondering what it's like to work in crisis response. Wow, that's um, that's uh, that's a big question um, because in our business, um, there's such a, a a lot of emotion, honestly, that does go into it because um, we've got enormous highs um, and we're able to do what sometimes seems like it might be the impossible and um, in lows when, you know, we come face to face with uh, human suffering and and some of the terrible tragedies that we're involved uh, with responding to. But the the one hallmark and constant in our service is that we see day in and day out many thousands of cases. And um, there are a lot of similarities between those cases that have allowed us to develop strategies and techniques to be effective. So more often than not, uh, the outcomes are good ones, which allows us to, to, to generally feel pretty good um, about, uh, you know, the results of, of the services that, that we deliver. So you, you chose to be there. Uh, you started the business. Um, talk about how, the, how you got the idea. So I spent the first uh, eight or nine years of my career uh, on Wall Street, actually. I started uh, right out of uh, undergrad as an investment banker and then was hired by one of our clients 
in the private equity industry. And so I was responsible for sourcing investments in companies. And uh, one of the investment theses that I was working on had to do with travel risk uh, management in the post 9-11 world. And what I quickly discovered when we were trying to make an investment in, in companies that provide these sorts of services was that they were really not prepared for this new um, global environment that had been created uh, or that we had entered after 9-11. And so um, I, I made the mistake of falling in love with this idea and thinking that there was a way of doing um, good in the world and also being able to do you know, well financially for our company and our employees. And um, started a company uh, in partnership actually with, with Johns Hopkins Medicine out of Baltimore with the objective of actually providing on the ground medical uh, security and intelligence support for travelers and whether they be travelers who are doing something like going on vacation or whether they're um, working for a, a, a company or, or a government and, and going there for work, but uh, essentially a critical set of resources that these travelers could rely on if and when um, they encountered um, anything from a, a minor problem like, um, you know, traveler's diarrhea or stomach upset to something much more serious like um, a motor vehicle accident or a terrorist attack or civil uprising or a natural disaster. So you, you said there that the companies were ill-equipped at that point before you started uh, your own company. What? Why were they ill-equipped? Why could they not perform this service? Well, the, the, the way the industry began 30-ish or so years ago uh, was that it was actually a, an outgrowth of the insurance industry. And many of these services think of themselves as travel assistance, not crisis management or response. And there's a big difference when you think of yourself as a travel assistance um, company versus a, a crisis management and response company. Uh, many of these services are call center based and they typically don't have uh, properly uh, credentialed or trained medical security and crisis management professionals on staff to be able to advise their clients when the phone rings. Um, they're typically involved in helping people locate a nearby clinic or hospital for minor medical issues, helping people uh, you know, who have forgotten their prescriptions or their eyeglasses or other sorts of more mundane uh, kinds of events, which, you know, honestly, we're involved in doing those things too. But when uh, the, the really bad things happen, you really need the capability of deploying personnel to the site of crisis. So think of it as a cavalry, right? When you, when you call the cavalry, you expect the cavalry to show up. You don't expect the cavalry to try and solve your problem necessarily um, from 5,000 miles away and not have the ability to, to affect positive change on the ground at the site of crisis. So I think we should use an example here uh, because the majority of people that are listening to the show are adventurers and people that are on the show are adventurers. So let's say that I am a mountaineer. I'm on Annapurna and I fall and I, I break my leg and it's a pretty serious situation. Uh, what, what happens? I call Global Rescue. How do I call you? So we recommend, particularly for our more adventurous members, that they always have some means of communication. And if they're in a remote part of, let's say, the Himalaya, uh, always recommend that they have a satellite phone or at a minimum a satellite texting device that they take with them so that they can notify us that something has gone uh, wrong. 
um, once they do contact us, uh, we then will determine, uh, you know, with our member what to do next. In some instances, it's providing advice to, to the member or the member's teammates uh, on the scene regarding how to, you know, stop the bleeding, use a tourniquet, um, do first aid, and, and those sorts of things. Um, once that immediate need has passed, however, there's typically an extraction component. And our company actually is, is um, one of the pioneers, actually the pioneer of, of a concept that we call worldwide field rescue. And, and what that concept entails is that we have the ability to get to you regardless of wherever, whatever, wherever it is that you happen to be and to be able to extract you um, and get you to safety. And if it's a medical problem that you're experiencing, to a clinic or a hospital that would be able to evaluate you, provide um, a diagnosis, and you know potentially um, stabilizing or life-saving uh, treatment prior to getting you um, home, which is one of the other parts of our service. Uh, we give you the choice of, of where you're transported to. But the field rescue component begins with contact, and that contact generally is initiated by a, by a satellite communication device. Um, when it comes to transport and actually affecting the field rescue, uh, the Himalaya, let's, and we do 30, I think we did 35 or so <clears throat> rescues and evacuations from the Himalaya last year, we typically use helicopters, and much of the Himalaya is accessible by helicopter, and uh, we actually have teams of our uh, personnel who, for every climbing season in the Himalaya, are deployed um, to what? Uh, take care of our clients' needs and to make sure that all of these rescues are being uh, prosecuted uh, properly. If a helicopter can't be used, and in some instances they can't because of the location or because of the weather um, or you know because the, the aircraft is down for maintenance or whatever, uh, we will then find a secondary or tertiary method of extracting the person from, their, um, from the field. As and getting can, other climbers out there. Either other climbers um, or Sherpa teams or depending on where they're located, we've used uh, pack animals in the past as well. You know, if they're if we can get them, uh, you know, back from the trailhead uh, back to a trail and, uh, and, and if they're suffering from altitude sickness, for instance, getting somebody down quickly is important. And it really doesn't matter how you get them down. You just got to get them down. So um, if they're in a maritime environment, uh, you know, using, you know, ships and boats and, and other ways of, uh, of getting people essentially out of harm's way. And um, our objective always is to give them the best likelihood of a good outcome. Uh, regardless of what their circumstances happen to be. So I'm paying a few hundred dollars a year for this service, I believe. Uh, is that, does that three three fifty somewhere in there? So yeah, so an individual medical only membership um, that covers up to forty five consecutive days of travel uh, costs three hundred twenty nine dollars. Okay, and uh, how much would say a helicopter? I have no idea. How much does a helicopter rescue cost on a on a Himalayan peak? Well, it totally depends. Um, helicopters, typically their operating costs, depending on the part of the world and a whole bunch of other you know, circumstances, um, mostly actually related to the cost of, of jet fuel and maintenance um, where they're located, they cost anywhere from two to $5,000 an hour typically okay. to operate. Okay. And so I'm wondering, what if my climbing partner that has seen me fall and break my leg doesn't have global rescue insurance and he's a little worried about getting off the mountain himself, uh, well, can he just hop in my helicopter? 
Well, if we're sending an aircraft to pick you up and your climbing partners with you, we're certainly not going to leave him behind. Um, and our memberships allow for us, uh, you know, honestly, to be able to have the flexibility to determine who, you know, we put on an aircraft and, and who we don't. But we would, the last thing we would ever want to do is leave somebody out there by themselves. Um, you know, we evacuate you with a broken leg. We're not going to leave somebody uh, out in the wilderness at risk by him or herself, um, particularly when the aircraft is already there anyway. I'm sure my climbing partner will be very appreciative of that, but he didn't pay for the service. Uh, no, he didn't, but you did. So there would be no, there would be absolutely no reason to leave him there if the aircraft is already sortying to come and pick you up, mm -hmm. right? So if he wanted to get on the aircraft, we're happy to put him on the aircraft. If he doesn't want to get on the aircraft, and, you know, we see it, both done both ways, honestly, when we perform field rescues. Sometimes, you know, it's an individual who's part of a larger team, and that larger team wants to continue on with their sunk bid or whatever it is their objective happens to be. Um, other times, uh, there are members of that climbing team that, uh, if it's just a small team, they may want to get on the aircraft. Now, you know, if it's six people who are out there and it's one person who needs to be evacuated, and the aircraft has three seats on it, and uh, you know, the injured party uh, occupies one of the seats. Uh, we've got two other seats, and but that doesn't mean that the entire rest of the party will be able to necessarily fit on the aircraft. Mm -hmm. So uh, it'll be up to them if they want to fill the seats or not. If they don't, then that's fine. If they do, then they'll have to determine who gets those seats. So when I was going through uh, getting the quote on the website, it seems like compared to my other uh, experiences in getting insurance, you collect very little information about me. Uh, why, why is this? Why don't you need to know what kind of adventure I'm going on? Well, to, for starters, uh, we're not insurance. We're, we're a membership, a, a okay. little bit more akin to say AAA, for instance, for your body, not okay. for your, not for your car. So, um, we have the flexibility to, to ask you the questions that we think are relevant, um, with respect to making sure that the membership is appropriate for you. Um, here's the reality. You know, we have, um, a lot of people who are our members who do all kinds of interesting and adventurous sorts of things. So uh, whether you're a mountain climber or a ski racer or um, a cyclist or, um, you know, a fisherman, it doesn't really matter to us. Um, what does matter is um, where you're going and our operations teams and our database will always uh, welcome the submission of information regarding your trip and what you're going to be doing on that trip. Because if and when you have a problem, the more we know about you, uh, the better off we can be in providing services to you. And uh, even down to medical information, blood type, uh, any pre-existing medical condition you might have that uh, would be relevant if we were to provide the service to you, um, all that information can be captured uh, within our database. But I, I guess... Uh wouldn't a wouldn't a high altitude mountaineering uh, trip be more expensive for global rescue than somebody who's using it for a fishing trip in like the Bahamas? Absolutely. I mean, the likelihood that somebody has a problem uh, climbing one of the big peaks it's 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 higher statistically that uh, that that they'll have a problem. So how come that um, person isn't we, charged more? Well, there are, there are companies out there, insurance companies that do that. And what we wanted to do was to keep our memberships affordable for everybody and keep it as simple an enrollment process 
as possible. And so our belief has always been keep it simple and make it affordable. And that's what we've been able to do over the last 13 years um, with respect to how we've priced our memberships. Have you ever had to use Global Rescue for your for your own personal use? <laughs> That's a, that's a good question. Uh, no, I have not for my own personal use. Okay. Um, I, there was, uh, there's once when I was on a mountain biking trip in, in Northern California. Um, and we were pretty far uh, off the grid. We did have a satellite phone and we got lost for a little while. And, uh, the thought did cross, not only the thought crossed my mind, but we were talking about how embarrassing it would be if the CEO actually has to call in and use his own service. So uh, okay. thankfully, that I, we figured out where we were and, and managed to, um, to get back to civilization. But uh, there have been some people who I am very close to, um, good friends of mine, who have been um, recipients of the service. So you saved so. your friend's life. Uh, we've been involved in, in, in helping some people uh, I care about, that's for sure. Yeah. Do we know how having a service such as this impacts how people make decisions. If uh, I guess I'm imagining a scenario where somebody's on the mountain and they maybe subconsciously think, you know, I can probably push it a little bit harder because I have this backup, you know, just in case I'll call Global Rescue. But then I can also imagine, imagine a separate uh, scenario where people aren't willing to call for a evacuation, I right. should say, if uh, they don't have it. Right. The, the the concept that you're describing is commonly referred to um, as a moral hazard. Okay. And and what that means is somebody is willing to take greater risk because they think that they have an ability to be extricated from those risks should those risks come in, into into being. And uh, we do. I I think we see that from from time to time, hmm. and I think people sometimes do, perhaps, hang it out there a little bit more than they otherwise would if they didn't have our service. Uh, but it's that's a very hard thing to try and assess, right. because you essentially need a control group, which you will never have, uh, of individuals, and you'd need to figure out what it is that they would have done had they not had global rescue service, which uh, obviously. Um, isn't uh, it's just they do have the service, so it's it's hard to know exactly how it impacts people's behavior. Uh, what I can tell you is, you know, we we are sometimes involved in trying to save people from themselves and from the results of bad decisions. Now, sometimes those bad decisions are made um, with um, you know lots of good information, and um, they would have been a decision that any you know, reasonable person would have made, and, and we, we would have been wrong. Um, sometimes, though, there are decisions that, when you objectively look at the facts, you scratch your head and wonder, why did this person make this decision? And um, it doesn't, for us, unfortunately, necessarily really matter, because we're the ones who are being contacted to try um, and improve uh, or fix the situation. And um, just because somebody made a bad decision doesn't mean that they're not entitled to our service. They, they absolutely are. 
That's Dan Richards, CEO of Global Rescue. To find out more, go to globalrescue.com. Members of the American Alpine Club receive up to $12,500 in rescue insurance courtesy of Global Rescue. I should say that while Mountain Meister is supported by the American Alpine Club, I don't think, I hope it didn't impact my decision to have Dan on the show. In fact, I don't even think that I told anybody at the American Alpine Club that I was doing this. Anyway, stay safe out there, and if you are doing something where you might find yourself in a bind, consider the service. That's all for me. I hope you enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm your host, Ben Shank. Thanks for listening to Mountain Meister. <laughs>